Welcome to the STEM Sessions podcast. I am your host, Jarl Cody. Every December, I seem to waffle between getting a fresh-cut Christmas tree or buying an artificial one. The pre-lighted artificial trees are intriguing. You just assemble them and you're done. But we seem to change our decorating style and theme every year. Sometimes we want large monochromatic lights, sometimes small multicolored fairy lights, sometimes none at all. So the pre-lighted trees may not offer the flexibility that I need. Plus, artificial trees in general need to be stored, and I refuse to fill up my garage with that much stuff, especially stuff I only use one month of the year. On the other hand, I love the smell and feel of a fresh-cut Christmas tree. Uh, My cats like it too and tend to get a wild streak in them with a fresh-cut tree in the house. But fresh-cut trees dry out and get messy as December rolls on. Plus, a small part of me is a bit sad it was cut down in the first place. And the availability of trees is usually a function of which weekend I visit the lot. And because I'm lazy and refuse to get on the Christmas train until well after Thanksgiving, that usually means selection is limited. In past years, I've picked out Douglas fir trees in the six-feet-tall range. Uh, This year, I got a four-feet-tall noble fir, and I love the size. Uh, So much so, I've decided future winter solstice holiday seasons will not feature a fresh-cut tree, but a live one instead. It'll be potted and maintained in quasi-bonsai style and brought inside and decorated during December. But what type of tree is the question? The lot sell noble firs, Douglas firs, Fraser firs, Nordman firs, Grand firs, spruce trees, just to name a handful. And this got me thinking, what is the difference between a fir and a spruce? And where do pines fit in? And, you know, despite exploring North American forests most of my life, my evergreen identification skills are somewhat non-existent. So a deep dive into conifers was required. And here's what I learned. This is the STEM Sessions Podcast, Episode 20, The Cone Bearers. At some point in my education, I learned there are two types of trees, deciduous and evergreen. Deciduous trees lose their leaves in the winter and enter a state of dormancy, revitalizing with warmer temperatures in the spring. Evergreens do not lose their leaves, nor do they experience dormancy in the winter. They are green throughout the year. I also learned evergreens and coniferous trees are interchangeable names for the same plants. Now, unsurprisingly, that explanation is a gross oversimplification. First, deciduous trees losing leaves in winter is only a characteristic of those trees in colder climates. In warmer, arid climates, deciduous trees lose leaves and go dormant in the dry, warmer season. Second, Evergreens lose leaves too. They just do so throughout the year and never all at once. Third, the terms evergreen and deciduous are not unique to woody plants like trees and shrubs. They can be applied to most of the plant kingdom. Fourth, evergreen and coniferous are not completely interchangeable. To be evergreen, you don't have to be coniferous. Uh, There are evergreen oaks, for example, and not all conifers are evergreen. And even that is an oversimplification, albeit not as gross of one. The terms deciduous and evergreen are rabbit holes unto their own, and we'll have to revisit those at a later date. After all, this episode was inspired by Christmas trees, which are inherently conifers, so we're going to focus on that term. 
Conifer is a compound of two Latin words, conus meaning cone and ferrer meaning to bear. Put those together and you have conifer, meaning the one that bears cones. So in simple terms, conifers are woody plants, mostly trees, but a few shrubs whose seeds are contained in cones. Conifers are gymnosperms, meaning their seeds are not contained within a fruit, like those of angiosperms, aka flowering plants. Therefore, the primary purpose of the cone is to protect the seeds. Taxonomically speaking, conifers are found in the division Pinophyta. Now, when I read division, I was confused because there is no division in the taxonomy I learned in high school. I learned kingdom, phylum, class, order, family, genus, species. Well, as it turns out, phylum only applies to the animal kingdom. When you're talking about the plant and fungus kingdoms, phylum is replaced by division. So conifers make up the division uh, Pinophyta. And within that division, all conifers are in the class Pinopsida. Within the class Pinopsida, there are four orders, three of which are extinct. All living conifers today are found in the order Pinales. The living conifers are further divided into seven families. Some I'll mention only briefly. Others, namely the ones I have firsthand experience with, will be talked about in more detail. And for the most part, I will not be using the actual scientific names because I can't pronounce them, but they're in the show notes if you'd like to read them. First up is the Araucaria family. This family has three genera and 41 species. It's one of the older families of conifers with the fossil record dating back some 300 million years. Today, it's found only in the Southern Hemisphere, but it was widespread during the dinosaur age. In fact, the petrified wood in Petrified Forest National Park in Arizona is of this family. Next, we have the U family, that's spelled Y-E-W. There are three genera and approximately 10 species. Mostly found in the Northern Hemisphere, the plants are generally toxic to humans, although medicinal compounds have been distilled from them. Then we have the plum yew family, obviously closely related to the yew family. There are three genera, approximately 20 species. This family is exclusive to East Asia, with the exception of two species in southwestern and southeastern United States. Next, we have the umbrella pine family. There is one genus and one species in this family, the koyamaki, or Japanese umbrella pine. And obviously, this is exclusive to Japan. Next is the yellowwood or Podocarpus family. 18 genera, about 200 species. The wild range is primarily the southern hemisphere, with some species ranging north of the equator. But commercially and residentially, uh, many species are grown in the world as garden trees because they are easy to train and can be made into hedges or privacy screens. Then we have the cypress family, 30 genera, 140 species, found in both hemispheres and worldwide. This family includes cypresses, junipers, and redwoods, including the coastal redwood and giant sequoia. The cypress family has the largest geographical range of all the conifers. And finally, we come to the pine family. Now, when I think of conifers, this is the family that I picture. 11 genera, but 250 species. 
found primarily in the northern hemisphere with one species jumping the equator. This includes pines, spruces, cedars, firs. It's the largest conifer family in terms of species count and second largest in terms of geography. And when a conifer is decorated as a Christmas tree, the species is most likely from the pine family. Now that we've described the family tree, let's circle back, <laughs> let's circle back to the cones for a moment because they are a defining feature of conifers. There are male and female cones, just like there are male and female flowers. Male cones produce pollen, which is dispersed on the wind with the intent of fertilizing the gametophyte inside female cones. The resulting seeds are protected by the female cone, and both male and female cones can develop on the same plant. Now, depending on the species, these cones take months to years to reach maturity. And when ready, some cones open, allowing seeds to be carried away by the wind. Other cones disintegrate to release the seeds, and others have evolved to be opened and dispersed by birds and small mammals. And some cones require the heat of a fire to open. Now, I'm sure most of us have a distinct picture of a pine cone in our heads as we talk about cones, a brown, spiky, scaly, woody object. But not all conifer species have a woody cone. Some cone scales are fleshy, some are brightly colored, some are sweet. I remember the first year my podocarpus developed cones. They looked like giant blueberries, which completely confused me because I knew the podocarpus was a conifer species and therefore must have cones. So what the heck were these berries? But my first-hand experience before that has been limited to trees from the pine and cypress families, with each species I've encountered developing cones that look more or less like the typical pine cone. And this just goes to show you that experience doesn't always give one the whole picture. After cones, the next defining feature of conifers is their leaves. Typical conifer foliage is not the broad leaves of oaks and maples. Instead, conifer leaves are relatively long compared to their width. The pine family has needle-like leaves ranging from an inch to five or six inches long. The podocarpus family, while not needle-like, they're close to it, uh, still much narrower than they are long. The tree in my yard has needles approximately a quarter inch wide, but two to three inches long. And the cypress family, well, they're not needles at all. They're, they're flat, narrow, thin leaves and are arranged in a kind of scaled or segmented finger pattern. Conifer leaves are part of the order's adaptation to environments inhospitable to other trees. Uh, conifers are generally sclerophyllous, meaning they are hard-leaved. This means they lose less moisture than broad leaves and can tolerate drier summers. And the dark green of most evergreens can absorb more sunlight in winter or in weaker sunlight found in upper latitudes. Physically speaking, most conifers display monopodial growth. This is the classic Christmas tree shape, a single straight trunk with smaller branches shooting off in all directions from that central trunk. This shape is maintained through apical dominance, a characteristic in which the central stem of the plant, the trunk in this case, grows more strongly than the side stems or branches. Further, any given branch also exhibits apical dominance, 
within itself, meaning the branch emerging from the trunk will grow more strongly than any sub-branches or twigs it produces. Apical bud is the location where the growth occurs. The bud on the trunk releases a hormone that inhibits growth of side buds further down the tree. If the bud is damaged or removed, the hormone dissipates and growth is now concentrated on the lower branches. Removing this apical bud is common when training trees to grow in a specific shape. I have two types of conifers in my yard, a podocarpus and several cypress trees. Both are used for privacy, but needed to have different shapes. The podocarpus needed to be wide, so once it reached the appropriate height, I trimmed the central shoot and energy was directed to the lower branches, causing them to grow and sprawl wider. The cypress trees were planted in a row, so they're allowed to grow tall, keeping the lower branches short. Uh, this growth mechanic of apical dominance is most likely an evolutionary adaption. If energy can be concentrated at the bud on the trunk rather than the side branches, the tree can grow taller, taller than its neighboring trees, allowing it to capture more sunlight for photosynthesis than any of its competitors. The growth of conifer trees is the stuff of records. The tallest, largest, thickest, and oldest trees in the world are all conifers. The tallest specimen is a coast redwood named Hyperion in California at 379 feet tall or about 115 meters. The largest tree is a giant sequoia named General Sherman, also in California, with a volume of 52,500 cubic feet, or about 1,487 cubic meters. The thickest, or the largest diameter, is a Montezuma cypress in Mexico with a diameter of 37.5 feet, or about 11.5 meters. Though, depending on methods of calculation, that number will vary from 9.4 meters to 14 meters, or about 31 feet to 46 feet. And interestingly, the giant sequoia, which has a much more traditional circular cross-section, is just shy of 29 feet itself. The oldest tree is a Great Basin bristlecone pine named Methuselah in California, aged at 4,853 years old. Though recently there was a report that another in the same area uh, was dated to 5,062 years, but that doesn't seem to have been confirmed yet. These growth characteristics have also resulted in conifers playing an important role in our daily lives. They live in a wide range of ecosystems and environments, from the equator to the higher latitudes, from the deserts to the mountains. They adorn many of our homes and parks, and much of our outdoor recreation takes place in conifer forests. Conifers also make up the vast majority of material in our timber industry from basic construction lumber like 2x4s to paper. They also represent the world's largest carbon sink thanks to their geographical range and utter mass. So after all that, let's finally get to the question that started this investigation. Are names like pines, firs, and spruce just colloquial, or is there an actual definition behind them? Pines, firs, and spruces are all different genera within the pine family. However, those words are often used interchangeably, albeit incorrectly, with each other in everyday vernacular. 
So much so that when shown a tree from the overall pine family, a random person will almost certainly say, well, that's a pine tree, even though it might be a fir or a spruce. After all, they all have needles. They're all green. They all have cones, but there is a difference. Pine trees have long needles with multiple needles emerging from the same point on the branch. Uh, they grow in clusters. Firs and spruce needles grow individually along the branch. Spruce needles are sharp with a square cross-section that can be rolled between your fingers. Fir needles are softer and flat, and they can't be rolled between your fingers. So yes, there are indeed technical differences between pines, firs, and spruces. Thank you for listening to the STEM Sessions podcast. This episode was researched, written, and produced by Jarl Cody. Here at the STEM Sessions, we strive to share accurate and complete information, but we also encourage you to do your own research on the topic we discussed to confirm the accuracy of what we've presented. Corrections are always welcome. Show notes, contact information, and details of our other activities can be found on our website, thestemsessions.com. If you received value from this episode and wish to give some back, please visit thestemsessions.com slash value for value for ways to support the podcast. Finally, please remember STEM is not a tool exclusive to experts, policymakers, and talking heads. Every presenter is susceptible to unconscious and sometimes deliberate bias. So always verify what you read and what you're told. Until the next one, stay curious.